0: You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hey everyone, Matt from Occupier here. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to another episode of The Fully Occupied Podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe on your favorite listening platform. Or just shoot us a note at marketing at occupier.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on future guests, topics you'd like to hear about. Ask us any questions you have or just say hi. Enjoy the show. Michael, thanks for joining the Fully Occupied show.
1: Uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Why don't we get right into it? Uh, give a quick introduction. Give us your role at NAI Capital and, and talk a little bit about uh, your background.
1: Certainly. So... Um... Right now, I'm our uh, vice chairman of global corporate services for NIA Global, uh, working on expanding our footprint, both domestically and internationally and building our presence from a global corporate services perspective. I'm also fortunate enough to be the founder and director of the Tenant Consulting Group at NIA Capital in Southern California, where I lead a team of approximately 15 individuals within 12 different offices on focusing our efforts on assisting companies, tenants, in the leasehold acquisition of their commercial real estate or acquisition of their corporate headquarters, and potentially, in certain circumstances, disposition of offices, which is a big, a big trend, as I'm sure everyone's been having to deal with during the COVID times.
0: Yeah, for sure. We'll get into that in a little bit. Let's focus on the um, global corporate services aspect first. Talk a little bit about what the platform looks like today how you guys are servicing your clients, both from like a service line perspective, but also you know, just like you mentioned international, how, how you see that impacting your growth and, and, and what that team makeup looks like today.
1: Sure, so um, with actually the help of Occupier, which you guys are great, uh, assisting clients, like I have a national uh, client that we're working with you guys on and, and keeping their portfolio. Um, up to date, including operating expenses, lease expirations, et cetera. A really simple tool to use. So, anybody who's listening, here's my plug for occupier. Um, <laughs> Great system and, and really enjoy using it so far. So, what's unique about NEI Global's platform different than, for example, in my experience previously, where I started my career at CBRE and then went on to Newmark and then I've got back to more of the entrepreneurial uh, boutique feel with a global platform, is what I like to say. Um, you know, working with like-minded principals around the world and specifically domestically and internationally, obviously, and essentially old school, get on the phone, talk about your clients, talk about requirements, talks about needs. Uh, And really what I think is a, a big differentiator for us is our listening capabilities for our clients. And obviously with everything that's transpired over the last 12 to 18 months, the landscape of commercial real estate specifically from a tenant rep perspective has changed dramatically.
0: In what ways is it from a competitive standpoint, from the client needs perspective, get a little more detail
1: there. Sure. So, um, you know, a lot of people are professing, you know, workplace strategies and hybrid models of, you know, how does the workplace look when, and if we come back and from the big technology or fintech firms that are saying, Hey, we're going to come back, you know, X period of day. We're going to work on more of a hoteling model, where, for example, somebody would come in Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Another person would come in Tuesday, Thursday. Share an office, so to speak. Uh, obviously, the cleaning component is is integral, and a lot of landlords are focused on that, ventilating systems for airflow and and making sure that everything is as clean as possible relative to keeping, you know their tenants safe, so to speak. Um, I think what we're seeing, at least from what my clients are looking at, and I primarily focus on you know, a specific background in entertainment, media, law firms, and then general office services groups, accountants, financial services, et cetera, is really where my level of expertise is. Um, and what's really interesting is you can talk to an AM Law 100 company or firm, I should say, And a lot of times they're going, well, we're thinking about decreasing our footprint, how we're using attorneys today, uh, the way attorneys are going to be utilized in the office, going to single office sets uh, compared to larger historical offices that managing partners would use uh, specifically to make it more effective and efficient. Whereas you can get more attorneys, more billers in offices, uh, figuring out how you're utilizing your paralegals, um, your billers, et cetera. So, Ultimately, you know, I have a couple law firms I represent right now that are looking at downsizing, and I have a few that are looking to expand organically internally. And what's interesting is when you start looking at the footprint and how you know, some of these firms are looking at expanding, it really makes a lot more sense where historically, you, know, you could have partner offices that were in the 750 square foot range, and now those could get down to you know, two and a quarter, 250. Uh, a lot of technology companies, for example, Will use you know a different type of makeup where they're uh, they're using space that's thirty six square feet per employee versus historically maybe that have been one hundred and seventy five to two and a quarter. Um, yeah. There's so many different dynamics that go on, and what I really find interesting from my own practice is really connecting on a personal level with my clients, where I believe they look at me as an extension of the real estate department, whereas. I would never do anything or advise a client to make a real estate decision that, frankly, that I don't think I would make. And I think that comes out in my passion and interest for looking at their best interests and ultimately trying to figure out how do you reduce your overall real estate expense, right? Your two largest line items on your balance sheet technically are your salaries and your rent. So to the extent I can assist a law firm, for example, in reducing their real estate spend by X multiple allows them to hire X amount of attorneys additionally which generate more revenue for the firm and eventually puts that capital back into the, the partners profits or their pockets I should say
0: yeah I'm glad you mentioned that because like you said there's so many things at play and the, the law firm or the tech company or whatever business is trying to make real estate decisions this isn't their expertise right so it, normally they'll rely on a tenant rep or a consultant to help guide them but today, it's even more important, right? Like, there's so many things at play. There's so many decisions. Do we go hybrid? Do we downsize? Do we actually take more space? How do we configure the floor plan um, to be more conducive to our, you know, the changing culture of our business, all of these things, they can't happen just within the four walls of a company, they, they need somebody like you in order to kind of guide them through it. So like, what types of things are they asking for you to help figure out? Like, is it? you know, square foot per person? Is it ideal layouts? Like, how do you, how do you so used to bear there?
1: So I typically, um, like I said, I know what I'm good at. I know what my experience level is and I can help people kind of figure out some of those issues, but I'm also smart enough to recognize when to bring additional professionals who this is what they do. So I'll work with project managers, I'll work with architects, I'll work with other professionals that can assist me in advising my client based upon best practices. Uh, For what law firm I'm working, I'm working with a very high-end architectural firm and a principal within the firm who simply focuses on law firms. Um, So having that level of expertise, knowing what their competitors are doing, I think gives them a sense of calm or an understanding that, hey, we are doing this right. Not that necessarily they wanna emulate what their competitors are doing, but from the standpoint of, you know, what are our competitors doing? How how do we understand that? I mean, I can tell you from working with entertainment companies and post-production companies, the way they're evaluating infrastructure capital costs for supplemental HVAC that they're gonna have to insert themselves into buildings today versus getting a landlord to cover some of those miscellaneous expenses is definitely something that i advise multiple entertainment production companies on i mean they're going hey we run television shows or movies we need to do the production in-house in certain circumstances how do we have our supplemental airflow how are we dealing with cleaning that now what's the landlord's you know um, makeup going to excuse me makeup going to be whereas they're going to work with us on making sure that's maintained to be clean where is the supplemental going to come from? Who's responsible for that cost? Um, what kind of insulation are we getting from landlords for doing, you know, our post production? Is it going to be inserted into the walls? Are we going to put a sound blanket on top of the ceilings? Are we going to have the walls go up to the to the ceiling to the grid, or is it going to go up all the way to the uh, concrete of the floor above? Um, there's a lot of variables involved in understanding particular client's business. I think is where, you know. I excel in being able to advise accordingly. Um, you know, a lot of these companies, there's a, a large entertainment company I represent right now has 50,000 square feet uh, in the Culver City area. And you know one of the discussions I had with the director of real estate was, how are you looking internally to come back to the office? And his first question to me was, what are you seeing alternative companies like ours doing in the market as well? Because we think we have an understanding as to what it is specifically we need to do, whereas we have our C suites that need to be in the office all the time, we have our VPs of production, et cetera, that need to be in the office all the time. We have assistants that need to assist the VPs and the CEOs that are kind of can be in a hybrid model because they don't need to necessarily be here all the time. And then we have people who uh, I, I don't want to diminish their role and responsibility in the company, but call it support for those particular roles that don't necessarily need to be on site. So they actually broke it down into four different categories on how they evaluate um, how they're coming back to the office. And, you know, hypothetically, they could be back in using 50% of their space. Um, They could be using, you know, 75%. But again, I think that the operable word here is it's a work in progress. Um, some of the other things I look at is I get into the operating expense exclusions and find out what the landlord's have been passing through to their tenants uh, or my clients. And we do audits usually every 12 months or at least I negotiate that for my clients because, you know, think about it. If you're in COVID, right? And the building is what, 10% or less occupied the expenses to run and operate a building are going to drop dramatically. So as you're considering negotiating new base years or restructuring leases, it's really important to understand what model are you looking at from the base year of those expenses and how will that have an impact significantly to your tenant. specifically when you're talking about landlords looking to upgrade the buildings from a mechanical standpoint or HVAC or filtration issues, So there's a multiple of things. There's another example with parking. You know, a lot of companies, I should say landlords are figuring out technology that are having to deal with the hybrid model, which historically a lot of these um, landlords would mandate, you had a, a must take, for example, on parking versus a right, but not the obligation to lease up to a certain amount, right? So now we're looking at day passes, right? So how do we get a client to say, we're gonna get in X amount of passes so we're not looking at you know an exorbitant amount of additional parking to the expense so i think landlords are trying to figure out as well as how accommodating they can be to tenants but again it really doesn't matter to me because i don't represent the landlords i'm just looking to find the best economic what i call this a cfo effect or ceo effect it's the cultural economical and operational components of a company or a firm and how they meld together as it relates to the real estate versus trying to put those pieces of the puzzle in the, the inverse manner.
0: Yeah, I mean, just with what you, the litany of things that you just described, there's only so much a, a company can do internally to actually keep track of all that stuff. Like a director of real estate has a strategic vision and, and needs to execute on it, but they, they can't even be in the details every day on an operating expense audit or, you know, an HVAC, you know, project pricing out and stuff like that. So, um yeah, just goes to show that I think you know the tenant rep world is is you know while while there there might be things changing about the role of the broker in terms of providing market information and deal management and stuff like that, given like technology and the availability of data, there's there's always going to be a place for somebody that is looking out for the the like you said the the CEO effect of of, of the business. It sounds like you got some pretty specialized knowledge there in the entertainment space. Is that an area that obviously you're in Southern California. So, you know, it's the epicenter of, you know, the entertainment world, but is that, is that an area that you singularly focused on or did you happen to gain traction there? Is is it super competitive? There are a ton of brokers out there that focus on that space.
1: Well, you know, the irony is the people I typically compete with are the same people. So I would say there's probably, I don't know, between seven to 10 brokers on certain types of assignments that I will continue to compete on if they're doing a beauty contest and we have to come compete for the opportunity, you know, like life, you know, a lot of opportunities are predicated on relationships um, and having those relationships and being able to demonstrate your, your differentiator, if you will, or what, how do you work differently? And, you know, there's people out there that will negatively sell against brokers um, and say, you know, negative things. I've, uh, use my whole career to only sell what I do positively. I will negative never negatively sell against anyone because frankly, I don't see the need to. Um, our business is very cutthroat, unfortunately. There is a negative connotation that brokers are overpaid, that all they care about is money. Um, and it, it's an unfortunate reality because there are a lot of people that operate in our industry like that um, and are much more broker centric than advisory or consultative. And, you know, when I teach, you know, my team or, or associates or younger associates or even some senior level people, you know, the way to approach business today is very different. I mean, besides the analytical, the financial analysis, the understanding that the nuances of a lease document and understanding their business, you know, frankly, it's not like you go look for space. I mean, frankly, anyone can go find space somewhere. That's not the reality or the, the value proposition that one should offer a client, but more importantly, what are those other intricacies? And so to your question of where did that experience come from, um, I was fortunate to represent a large number of both public and private entertainment companies, post-production companies. I frankly had negotiated more uh, on behalf of more advertising and media companies than my competitors in the last five years. So I can speak to my resume and experience and, and doing that. I was fortunate to be involved in the largest real estate uh, commercial transaction in Century City in the last 15 years for 150,000 feet for a very large media company uh, previously. Um, So my resume speaks for itself, but frankly, a resume is like a record in in an athletic sport. All it is, it says you're good at something, but frankly, companies are looking like, what can you do for me today? Where's your value proposition? What's your added value you can bring to me compared to, you know, three or four other firms that I'm 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 competing against? And frankly, they're really smart and sophisticated brokers out there, and there's definitely an exorbitant amount of them, but not all of them think that way, right? So at the end of the day, it'll come down to a relationship. It'll come down to, you know, if a broker missed. a a clause in a lease who was the incumbent and didn't have a restoration provision negotiated or an expansion option. I mean, it can come down to simply something where somebody missed. Uh, And conversely, it comes down to, you know, I think the the personalities in the room and making sure that whomever hires you trusts you implicitly and looks at you as like the outsourced real estate component of their firm or their business. And I've been very fortunate to have a number of those both public and private companies uh, entrust me in, representing their interests. Yep. Um,
0: Yeah, it all comes down to that relationship and and, and maintaining it and securing it and making sure that, you know, you're, you're basically covering their blind spots. If you had to describe the junior person that you're looking to bring onto your team, you guys mentioned that you're trying to grow your platform, whether that's on the global scale or in your local business, like, what do you look for in, in a young, trying to get into real estate and or conversely, like what advice would you give them um, in this kind of like super dynamic market?
1: You know, it's really hard, especially if you got in this business, you know, prior to COVID or during COVID, uh, it's hard enough the way it is. I mean, there's so many people out there thinking that people make so much money and doing this and and granted, it's, it's, it's made a great life for my family and I, and I'm very fortunate to be in the position that I am in. But when I'm talking to people, I'm very, very clear and transparent with the amount of work it takes. For example, um, I have a whole timeline of what a day in a life looks like for, I don't like to call them junior brokers, I like to call them more of associates or partners because we're all in this together. And to the extent that somebody feels like they're part of a team, I think bodes very well for them knowing, hey, I'm not on an island, um, I'm doing things together. So I have a whole week scheduled for my associates or, or the people who are maybe less uh, experienced or even for the, some of those who are more senior and need to be more disciplined in how they approach their days. I mean, the reality is if you get three people to respond to a voice message or, or, or connect with you or an email out of 100 calls, you're doing very well. Yeah, that's a good and a lot And a lot of people are not used to rejection you know, I've always looked at it as an ex-athlete um, of, hey, coaches, you're not fast enough, you're not tall enough, you're not quick enough, you don't shoot at a high enough level. Whatever it may be that someone told me I couldn't do, I use as motivation to make me better for who I am. And I share that. And I look for, frankly, ex-athletes as people coming in the business because they know what it's like to compete. They know what it's like to fail. Um, You know, my biggest thing when I interview somebody is I'll say, tell me your biggest weakness. I don't really worry about what you're really good at. I want to know what you know that you're not good at, right? Because I think if someone can identify their weakness, that allows them to understand what it's going to take to be successful because none of us are perfect or anywhere close to that, but to the extent we understand what we need to flourish in and to get better at, I think what makes us not only better brokers, but better human beings.
0: Yeah. it also um, is a good window into, you know, their kind of self-awareness, right? If, if the answer to the question was, I didn't, I don't know, or I don't have any weaknesses, like, you know, that's going to be a tough person to kind of um, manage to get better. So it's that tenacity. It's that, you know, not fear of uh, losing, you know, that,
1: kind of emotional intelligence of identifying the areas they need to get better um, exactly in fact there's one thing you know and not that i'm a proponent of the actual movie but there's a movie um, that will go unnamed. name but there's a component that says you know sell me this pen right oh yeah <laughs> and everyone knows that and you know as funny and tongue-in-cheek people get about that concept the truth of the matter is it's very poignant And it actually shows the reality of what in our industry refers to as salespeople, if you will. Um, and you don't want to come off as being salesy, and I got a great opportunity, I got to tell you, you know, it's there's value that I can create to help you and understand what your issues are and how do we solve those problems together, right? So, from my perspective. It's like solving a puzzle. Like I'm going to assist you on solving your problem that you may not even know you have, right? So I can't tell you how many C-suite people I talk to. I'm good. I have a relationship. You know what? I'm happy that you have a relationship. It's really refreshing to hear that. You know, having a second pair of eyes and ears doesn't hurt. It doesn't cost you anything, right? Um, and help somebody from a consultative basis. And that kind of gets overused as well, because what's really a consultant? Right, everyone's like, "Oh, you're just basically saying you're a broker and calling it something else." But to those of us who truly operate in a consultative or an advisory role, I think the value proposition of what we're offering and the intricacies in which we get into with our clients is demonstrated wholeheartedly up front, and they recognize that.
0: Yep. So shifting over to the the market, you know, I've been following you on LinkedIn. It, it seems like you're kind of would be somewhat on the bullish side here. Um, it sounds like you're seeing this kind of dichotomy of some companies looking to downsize because of hybrid work or whatever um, impacts COVID has had on their business. But then there's also a contingent specifically in the, the law firm world and probably other businesses that are looking at you know, this as an opportunistic time to maybe take more space so that they can accommodate growing headcount um, taking kind of all of those factors, which are still very nascent in in terms of the recovery here into account. What, like, what do you, what do you think the next 12 to 24 months look like in terms of fundamentals, whether that's in Southern California or just globally in in, in the, in the real estate markets?
1: You know, it's funny you mentioned that because on LinkedIn and other social media sites that I'm on, um, I get into it with people specifically, you know, co-working environment things where it's like that's the model that everyone's going to go to. People aren't going to need brokers anymore, and and you know the the co-working world, the workplace that they're able to provide, I think there is a value in a certain circumstance for certain companies for a limited period of time. You know, they take away capital expenditure uh, that they're you know a prospective tenant would have because they're going to incur the capital cost to build it and. And give you something with flexibility, but then from a cost standpoint, it's ten times the amount typically that it would cost to do a lease. And you no, know, rather than getting into the to the weeds with this thing, you no, know, I definitely think there's a place in the future. My perspective is I am very bullish on the market. You know, as you know, um, I have a client who was very bullish as well, and during COVID, looked at taking advantage, and we did you know a couple hundred thousand square feet of deals during COVID because he knew that his business was going to continue to flourish and knew there was an opportunity. Um, I think that we're going to come to a more pre-pandemic level, assuming, you know, knock on wood, God forbid, there is another catastrophe in some, to some extent. I foresee us coming back to pre-pandemic levels by this time next year. Um, some people think that's aggressive. I've always been a glass half full type of person. Um, But I honestly believe with what we're seeing, you know, Google's now moving into their corporate offices and wants to live about 527,000 square feet. I believe it's September now. Right. So they let their tenants, you know, their employees wait, stay at home, not necessarily have to come back, but they're going to. Um, I can tell you right now in a search for a 30,000 foot law firm that I'm representing right now, I looked at two or three different buildings and there's multiple offers, multiple proposals that are that are out with the um, landlord, uh, 40,000 feet in one building, another 40,000. I'm talking about rents in the six seven eight range, right? So these are big numbers. And a lot of these are financial institutions, private equity, um, law firms that are looking to grow either organically or by acquisition. So um, you know figuring out you know workplace, there's an advertising agency that I represented for 15,000 square feet and I just had a call with the principal. And the principal's like, look, I haven't been able to do my business. Do you think the ownership would be amenable to getting creative and structuring something and to figure solutions out? So, right after I spoke with him, got on the horn with the broker, we came up with an amicable solution that worked both for the landlord and the tenant. Uh, and it gave them the flexibility to free up some cash for the first, I guess, the next 12 to 18 months, um, which is going to allow them to continue to grow. And they have an 11 year lease at the building. So, you know, there are landlords that understand, uh, and I think you know there are certain people that try to take advantage of COVID, which hurt other people. Meaning that landlords would say, "Show me your financial statements. Show me where your PPP money was. You know, let's be transparent if you really have an issue, and let's figure a solution out." I did that for another national client of mine in Sherman Oaks who had an additional location. And we were completely transparent and we were like, look, if you are not working with us, we're going to leave in the next 18 months. And the landlord was like, okay, I understand the financials. I understand there's an opportunity for you to go to. I don't want to lose you. So creating the right leverage, being transparent and open with your financials um, really was something that you know I advocated for my clients to do, assuming they really had an issue. If they were like just trying to get a deal and they didn't want to be transparent, I was very open with them and saying, "Look, if you're not going to do this, the ability for you to restructure or do something is going to be a lot lower. It doesn't mean that we can't achieve success, uh, but at the same time, it's got to be a win-win. If you're really looking to try and reduce some of your real estate expense, yeah, I've,
0: I've seen that on on from our perspective. Is you know we had this massive uptick in activity during COVID because all of the tenants that were on our platform were." you know, looking up information, trying to understand their, their rights, their options, their obligations, their financial exposure. So you could, you could, you could tell that there was this period where companies were evaluating, like, how do I make this right for my business? Or, you know, how do I, how do I opportunistically capitalize on this situation? However, kind of grotesque that might seem, but as long as the landlord and and the tenant are in alignment that, you know, there's a deal to be had, and it's going to benefit both parties you know, it's, it's worth going through that process. I was,
1: yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say like, to your point, like going through that process where it becomes the win-win, like, I don't, I don't want, I want to be clear. Like I don't represent landlords. Like I really, frankly, right. I'm not concerned with their bottom line. Cause it's not like they're not doing well in most circumstances and as they should, they're in that business, but my sole and fiduciary responsibility is to my clients and their businesses, and figuring out ways to reduce the real estate expense, whatever means necessary, um, that allows them to continue to be able to be profitable, uh, grow, and frankly, in certain some certain circumstances, be able just to stay afloat. Right. So, I think that's another big component. Is like, hey, we just have to figure this out together. If you're amenable to doing so.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, one final question on. And- in, in terms of the evolution of tenant rep, how do you see you know, technology potentially changing the landscape or at least augmenting the role of the tenant rep broker? Is there, you know, what has been your experience to date in, in, in terms of tech, whether that's workflow tools to do your job or access to data? Um, is, there, is there something there that you feel could substantially change the industry?
1: Uh, no, is a simple answer. And it's funny because I shouldn't say it's funny, but what's interesting is that people for a long period of time was like, well, technology and information, you know, what's really the role of the tenant rep going to be? Because the reality is, if everybody has the same information, what's your value proposition? Like, what are you adding? And the truth be told, the tenant rep broker is never going to go away because the unique component that I think people miss if you're not in the industry is that the value you create and the leverage that you're able to demonstrate by potentially taking a tenant out of a project. And let's say, for example, for discussion purposes, because this is something that comes up over and over in the discussions that I have with landlords. If my client, let's say is in excess to 15 to 20% of an asset, right? And that asset has a mortgage that's coming due in the next two to three years, the lease that we execute with that potential landlord has a much higher value than what a street comp may be, right? So understanding the CMBS market, understanding the, you know what the landlord's debt service is, all goes into the financial modeling when we're calling to a landlord to say, by the way, I'm not really worried about the lease for a 50,000 feet you just did with XYZ company. What I'm concerned with is what kind of deal I'm able to benefit from with you, knowing these values, knowing these variables that you're going to need our lease in order to get better financing on your asset. And I think that's more of a a deeper dive into the tenant rep value play. You know, from a a regular standpoint, hey, you have 5,000 square feet, you're looking to do lease, here's the comp. The comps aren't common knowledge. You know, a lot of that stuff is relationships with landlords, understanding rent roles that come out on sales of assets, um, doing additional substantial diligence on where the opportunity presents itself is why I don't think tenant reps are ever going to lose value. Now, if you're a thousand foot tenant and you're in a, a hundred thousand foot building, you know, yeah, it's going to be a lot more applicable to comps and, and information. And it is what it is. And landlord's frankly and respectfully not really going to care about you as if you were a 10 or 20,000 foot tenant in that 100,000 foot building, right? right? So the reality is from a smaller, smaller, smaller tenant perspective, you don't have any real leverage or value that you're able to bring to a landlord. But my practice isn't yeah. that, I'm working with technically smaller tenants. And when I have smaller tenants who are relationships or downsized. If I'm still handling it, or I'll have one of my associates work on it and I'll oversee every LOI, all the lease comments, I'll still treat that thousand foot tenant like they're a hundred thousand foot tenant. But the reality is what you're able to achieve is very different in those scenarios.
0: Yep, no, 100% agree. Michael, this has been great. Thanks for joining us. Congrats on all the success. And, and obviously we appreciate your support uh, with Occupier and look forward to kind of seeing the uh, the headlines as, as the market kind
1: of re-emerges out of this. I appreciate you having me. Um, Occupier has been a great system for my client right now. Um, and we're figuring out other ways and other clients to get involved with you guys because you're very easy to work with. And it's made uh, my client's life quite honestly, very very much easier to go through lease expirations and everything else and to manage the whole process. So, thank you for what you guys have put together because it's been very beneficial for my clients.
0: Excellent. All right, Michael, uh, till next time, great talking with you. Bye bye. Take care.